Well, good morning. We in John chapter 6 today, continuing our, our sermon series, Life According to Jesus. Well, the year was 1996, and I would get my little Datsun 510 and drive from uh, southern Oregon to northern California, from Grants Pass, Oregon to Eureka, California, from the Spags house to the Skaggs house, all right? From the Spags to the Skaggs. And I was going there for a particular reason. Uh, A little lady that uh, I was interested in, my girlfriend, she lived in northern California. And it was always a wonderful time. The Spags and the Skaggs had many things in common, and as you know, the Skaggs here have great hospitality. But there was a problem, in my mind. The Skaggs did do something a little bit different than the Spags. The Skaggs, they slept in a little bit longer and then had a late breakfast. And then as noon came around, which I consider lunchtime, lunch didn't necessarily happen. They had had a late breakfast, and so it would roll around to one or two, and then we would eat. And I was famished. And then it would come around to five o'clock, which I consider dinner, and the Skags had the ability to just say, oh, we'll skip a meal. The Spags, the Spags don't skip a meal. The Skags skipped a meal. I could feel my blood sugar level, level falling. I could feel those hunger pangs coming. And it was, it was a troubling time. Just tongue in cheek. But there was a reason I was there. There was a lady I was interested in. And whatever I had to miss for a meal, that was important. I was not going to depart. I was going to stick it out. I was going to stick it out. So, that's a funny story. But spiritually speaking, what do we do when things get tough? When you don't understand something in God's word or something doesn't work out quite, quite, quite right in your life. That you, you thought something was going to be a certain way. You thought God had promised something and then it doesn't happen. What happens? What do you do? Do you believe and stick it out or do you depart? We're all face these kind of situations in our life. And there's turning points. There's points of times we have to make a decision. What do you do when things get tough and they're hard and you don't understand? In the Gospel of John, we've been going through, and uh, the last thing that you saw was the feeding of the 5,000 plus. Jesus, there in the wilderness on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, he fed 5,000 people with Five loaves and two fish, more than 5,000 people, 5,000 men with women and children. It could have been up to, you know, 15,000 people or something. And then after that time, his disciples got in their boat and they sailed across the Sea of Galilee to the west side. And Jesus wasn't in the boat, right? But later on, you know the story, there was a storm. And Jesus, at night, sneaks across, walking on water, and gets into their boat and they arrive safely. This is what was the context has been happening. And since Jesus has been performing miracles and doing wonderful, wonderful things, the crowds have beginning to increase. You can imagine people beginning to hear the things about Jesus, and the crowds begin to grow and rise. And they were seeking Jesus. They wanted to, they wanted to follow him because he was doing things they had never seen. He was providing things they had never had. And so this is what's happening. People are beginning to follow Jesus. But, and in our story... There's going to be four groups of people that we're going to talk about. We're going to consider their faith in Jesus, their belief. Some of these people have true belief, but other people are just interested in Jesus for other reasons. Or some are actually opposed to Jesus. 
We're going to see those who, when faced with hard things, if they stick it out or if they depart. And so you'll see the big idea on the screen before. You can get it by this point. Here's the question. It's really a question. Will you believe even when it's hard? Will you believe even when it's hard? When you understand when it's hard, will you believe? These four groups of people today we're going to see, you're going to see it in our text. It's pretty clear. There's the crowds in Galilee. There are the Jewish leaders. There are the disciples. And when we say disciples, we're actually referring to all those who are following Jesus. And then specifically the 12. That's the four groups of people. The crowds in Galilee, the Jewish leaders, the disciples, all who are following Jesus, and the 12. That's what we're going to see. And as we read, we're going to consider this. We're going to consider what they want from Jesus and what Jesus gives them and then their response to that. What they want from Jesus, what Jesus actually gives them, and their response to that. And many of you have um, understand this about Jesus, that he offers great, great gifts of great value, but many people don't desire that gift. And what he offers, they won't receive. They want something else. So we're going to begin in chapter 6, verses 22 through 40. This is the first group. This is the crowds. I'm going to read, and as I read, I'm going to explain a little bit, and then we're going to come back and summarize what they want, what Jesus gives, his gift, and what they do in response. Verse 22. On the next day, the crowd remained on the other side of the sea, that there, that, that there had been only one boat there. I'm sorry, I'm going to start over. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. So there they are on the other side of the boat. They remember Jesus, had, uh, the disciples had gone across the boat, and the one boat was there, but Jesus, he, he remained. And so they're wondering, where did Jesus go? Verse 23, other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So there were some other boats, but these boats had come back across. They weren't the ones that Jesus got into. Verse 24, so when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. These guys had seen this miracle of multiplying bread. They're on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. They want to sail to the west side where Capernaum is to see Jesus. They are seeking him, as we see at the end of verse 24. Then verse 25, it says, When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Now, we're going to find out that Jesus is in Capernaum, and, and actually verse 50, I think it is. That's probably not right. Maybe it is. Verse 50... Um, why am I not seeing it? Verse 59, we're going to see that it's going to be, actually, he's in the synagogue at Capernaum. He's not just at Capernaum, he's actually in the synagogue where they are teaching in, the, in, the, in Capernaum. And so Jesus is going to begin to have this, uh, he, he was invited to speak, it seems. And so they're going to, it's kind of this preaching, but he's going to be asked questions. There's an interactive preaching taking place. Um, and so they're going to ask him a few questions. And so the first question they ask is, Rabbi, when did you come here? Now, Jesus could have shocked them, excited them by saying, you know what, at night I snuck across and I walked across on the water. But he doesn't do that. He knows they're seeking him for the wrong reasons. And we see this in verse 26. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Jesus said, you are working for food that perishes. You're working for food that, you know, you have a little bit of bread, you're, you, it fills your belly, 
and then at lunchtime you're hungry again. You eat at lunchtime, and then you're hungry again at dinner. You're seeking food that if you leave in your refrigerator too long, it rots and molds and becomes green. We just got back from family camp. I smelled the milk to make sure it wasn't rotten. Food that perishes. This is what they're seeking. And Jesus is saying, there is something greater to seek after. There is eternal food that can be given. A a food that he's saying gives eternal life. Life forever. That main problem that people have, death, this food solves that problem. Eternal life. This is food that endures. Seek after that food. And then you see in verse 20, he he says, do not work for the food that perishes. And then they said to him, verse 28, what must we do to be doing the works of God? So they think, well, if that's the case, not work for the food, well, what can we do to work? What can we do? What works can we do to, to gain this from God? What righteous deeds can we do? What can we do? They're mistaken in asking this question, but they're thinking, if this is the kind of food we can get that endures to eternal life, what must we do? Verse 29, Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Singular, not plural. And it's not a work that they do, but it's the work of God. It's God's work. And their responsibility is to believe in that work. What is the work of God? What's the work of Jesus? That Jesus has been sent to, this, to give life. And they are, their responsibility is one responsibility. What is it? Not a work of deeds, but of belief and trust. Believe in him who he has sent. Singular work. Verse 30, so they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the man in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. So they say, if you say you have this special bread, then give us a sign. (laughs) What did they just receive not too long ago, the day before? A sign. And now they're asking for another sign. Why? Because they want more food. Their bellies are rumbling, like mine was in Eureka. Their bellies were rumbling. And they're saying, we want more food. They think they've found a divine vending machine that can provide all their needs. No. Jesus is saying, no, even when God provided manna from you in the wilderness, remember this, the, the, the Israelites were in, in Egypt in, in slavery. God delivered them from, them from there. And then they went into the wilderness. And what did they ask for? They said, we're thirsty. We want water. What did God give them? Water. They said, we're hungry. We want bread. What did God give them? Manna, bread. We don't want this, this manna. We want meat. What did God give them? Quail and meat. God provided for everything they wanted, but here it's saying that that was not the true bread. The true bread comes from something greater, eternal. That was just a picture of the true bread, which Jesus is talking about here and is bringing. Moses was a great man, but Moses actually said, there will be someone greater, a greater prophet than me that will come. They knew these promises. Jesus is here, this greater prophet, this true bread, he is here, and they're missing it. They're focusing on the temporal, not the eternal. And that's why they say in verse 34, give us this bread. We don't want to be hungry anymore. Verse 33, though, if you look at it again, it says, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. We're beginning to see here 
that this, there's a giving of life that's going to provide life. We'll see more as we go along. Verse 35 said, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I think most of you know that in the Gospel of John there's these famous I am statements. They refer back to the book of Exodus where God, notice asks God for his name, and he says, I am that I am. If you see up on our wall here right now, we've been sitting there for many, many years, these seven I am statements. I am the bread of life. This is the first of the I am statements. Jesus is saying something about himself. I'm divine, and I pray the bread of life. But notice that when he says, I am the bread of life, you can tell there's symbolism here. It's not he's like literally bread of life, because it says, he who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall not thirst. There's, this, there's an idea of satisfaction to the full. All that you need, both bread and water, the needs, the basic needs of a human. But verse 36 says, here's a problem. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. These people had seen the works of Jesus multiplying bread, fish. They had seen it, and they do not believe. Oftentimes we think, if I just saw a sign from God, I would believe. It's not the way it works. We don't believe always when we see signs. These people are evidence of that. They didn't believe. Verse 37, Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Jesus is giving assurance that belief in him, this bread from heaven, will, 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 will endure. Jesus will never cast them, he will keep them. For I have come down from heaven, verse 30, 38, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, as the Father has given me, but raise him up on the last day. Jesus is making a promise that all that the Father gives, I will raise up on the last day. Verse 40, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks in the Son, looks in the actually remember back to um, John chapter 3, we're supposed to look up to the pole, uh, with the, the serpent on the pole, and those who look on it would believe, would, 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 would be healed and endure forever. He's speaking again, and symbolizes belief. Looks in the Son of, and believes in him, should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. There's some very complicated things being talked about here. There's some hard things actually being talked about this. We're going to come back to this, but suffice to say right now, let's just summarize this. What do the people want? Well, they want bread right now. They want their, their temporal needs satisfied. They want to satisfy their bellies that are rumbling. And what is Jesus offering? Jesus is offering eternal food, lasting food, food that endures to eternal life, life forever in Jesus. That's what he's offering. But, as verse 36 says, they do not believe, even though they have seen. They care more about the temporal. They tell them about the here and now than that which is forever. How many times can you say in your own life that you begin to focus on the here and now and you forget about the eternal? That the, the, the needs are right in front of you, those things that are driving you, that, that your flesh wants, they, over, they overcome those things that are more important and eternal. How many times is that true? In this particular case, these folks, that was the, 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 the tenor of their life, and so they depart. They departed. They, what they want, Jesus isn't giving, and what Jesus is giving, they won't accept. This is what's happening with the crowds. Now, look at verse 41. 
we're looking now at the Jewish leaders, the Jewish um, folks that were around the temple. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Now, the word grumbled is a particular word that helps us to think back to the, the Exodus journey again. Remember? In the Exodus, when they came out, when the people wanted water and they didn't have it, what did they do? They grumbled. When they wanted um, bread and they didn't, what did they do? They grumbled. When they wanted meat and what, when they didn't have it, what did they do? They grumbled. Um, the Bible speaks in this way, and it's a picture here of that Exodus. These people are doing the same pattern many years later. Right before them, God in the Exodus says, I give myself to you. You will be my people. I will be your God. And Jesus is giving himself to his people again. And they are saying, no, we, we, we can't accept that. He says, I am the bread from heaven. I am that true bread. Verse 42, they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, who father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? These people, though, you could say this is an honest question that they're asking. It really wasn't. They weren't interested in Jesus. They were interested in refuting Jesus. Jesus, remember, he had been born in Bethlehem, the place where the Messiah was to come. And then he had gone to Egypt because they were for safety. But then he had arrived back. This family had then settled in Nazareth, which is in Galilee. And then he set up his, his, his ministry for Capernaum. And now he's living in Galilee. And so they, they didn't even give a thought or think to think, well, what was his true origin at? They didn't want to know. They were with disbelief. How can he say this? They didn't trust in his, who he was as a person. Verse 43, Jesus answered them, Do not grumble in unbelief among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Again, we see here, this initiation of the Father in drawing people to Jesus. Verse 45 says, It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Pastor Stephen read that verse just a little bit ago, Isaiah 54, 13. It's this promise by the Father that someday they will all be taught by God. The new covenant says you will no longer need a teacher because God will teach each person in particular. So Jesus is this person, this prophet coming, who's teaching all. And then verse, uh, continue on in verse 45, everyone has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. When the Father speaks to a person, as he won't need a teacher, they come to Jesus. Uh, and then it says, not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. And Jesus is the voice of God, the word of God come to testify to the world of, who, um, of, of God and who he is. Verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. He's connecting belief with receiving eternal life, connecting it with the true bread, the bread of life. Verse 49, your fathers ate the, the manna in the wilderness and they died. What happened to them? They died. Every last one of those in the wilderness who ate the manna died. Verse 50, this is the bread that comes down for heaven that, so that one may eat of it and not die. And Jesus' bread, the bread of his life, is eternal bread, not die, conquers death. I am the living bread that came down from heaven, verse 51. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, before we showed that Jesus was beginning to say that his life was going to be given 
But now he's getting a little more specific. He's now saying, my, my flesh will be given for the life of the world. And Jesus, in the future, passed for us. When he dies on the cross, he gives his life. He gave his flesh for the life of the world. The only way to conquer death was through Jesus' death and giving of his body. And here he's saying, I am that bread that endures forever. And my flesh I will give for the life of the world. He's saying of himself. Verse 52, then the Jews, they disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus is now going to say some things that are really hard. And they would have been super challenging to the people then, and they were challenging to us today in in many ways. We know a little bit more, so maybe they're less so, but they were challenging. And you will see in the life of Jesus, I think many of you know this, that when someone is aggressively against him, who's not truly interested in him, he doesn't necessarily sugarcoat his message. He, he doesn't really go seeker-sensitive, is maybe the word is said. He goes direct. He goes hard. And he's going to do that here. He's going to say things that are difficult. So he says this in verse 53. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Is he talking about cannibalism? People might be thinking. He's not. But are they thinking that? Maybe. Verse 54. Whoever feeds of my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. There's this idea that they take him in, receive eternal life. They abide in him. Verse 57, as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will, have, will live because of me. The Father has life of himself. The Son has been granted by the Father as we've talked in the past. And the Son then gives life to all who take him in. Verse 58, this is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the, the bread the fathers ate and died. Again, manna did not last Jesus' body, though, yes, whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Imagine that day. Jesus enters the synagogue, begins to teach, and he says these things. These are hard things to take in. These would have been challenging statements for these people to take. Um, I would say they would be offended and upset. We're going to talk more about that. But summarize again. What do these Jews want? Well, they wanted a Messiah that fit into their mold. They didn't want a Messiah that had wild claims about himself, ones that they didn't understand. They, they wanted a, a tame Messiah who fell into the orthodoxy of, of, of the way they lived and their traditions and their orders. One they could figure out and one that could be uh, simple to them. God is not a, a tame God, though. and he, He's not simple. He is beyond their understanding. And what is Jesus offering, though? He's offering to raise them up on the last day, it says in verse 44. He's offering eternal life, it says in verse 47. In in verse 51, he's saying that there will be life through his flesh, in verse 51. And eternal life, and he will raise them up in verse 54. He's giving these eternal, wonderful, amazing gifts. But they're not looking for that. They're not looking for a Messiah in this way. So what do they do? They grumble in disbelief, and they're repelled and even offended by what he's saying, and they would not believe in who he's claiming to be as his person. 
They had seen his works. They, had, they, they knew the prophecies that there would be a greater than Moses to come, but they would not receive. What they want, Jesus isn't giving. What Jesus is giving, they won't accept. This is the pattern of what's happening here. Now, the next group, verses 60 through 66, is the disciples. Now, this one is, I think, even the most probably shocking for us. These are the disciples. These are the ones who've been following him. They, they have, they've committed, in many ways, they've left their jobs and left different things to follow him. And now we're going to see what happens in their lives. Look at verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Now notice here. These are hard sayings. Now, I don't think they were hard in the sense they didn't understand what he's saying. Because in verse the end of verse 62, or 61, he says, do you take offenses? I think they were hard and that they were offended by these things. These disciples expected a, a Messiah who would, would save and revive and change, but they didn't expect one who was going to give his flesh, give his life for them. He, he didn't, they didn't expect a suffering Messiah, a dying Messiah. That, that's what, remember Peter, when he, in a different gospel where he says, he says, um, what does he say? Um, help me out. Um, when he says, you are the rock uh, upon this, I will build your church, my church. Uh, Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then right after that, then um, Jesus tells him that I'm going to go and die. And, and Peter says, by no means, Lord, you shall not do that. And then Jesus says to him, Satan, get behind me. The, the thoughts that Peter has of wanting a Messiah that's alive and prosperous and conquering versus one who's dying and suffering, Jesus, that was too hard for him. And here, these people are feeling the same way. Verse 62, it says, Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? And what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to... If this is hard for you to hear about the Messiah, the, me giving my life, my flesh then what if you see how I'm going to ascend? What if you could picture right now how I'm going to ascend? And that's through the cross. His path to life was through the cross where Jesus would suffer the most gruesome of deaths, the most brutal of deaths upon the cross. What if you were aware of that right now, that path that I would take to ascend to heaven? What, could you take that? Would that be too much for you? This is what's happening to these people. These are hard things. It, their view of what Jesus, who Jesus was was the wrong understanding. And so when they heard a different message from him, they're offended. It's hard for them to take this in. Then Jesus says in verse 63, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Now Jesus is the word of God. And he's testifying of the, of the mission that he's on, the path he will take to life, where he will give the spirit of God. And the spirit of God then gives life to his people. These are the words that he's speaking that are words of life that usher in the, the new kingdom of the spirit in the life of his people. These are, this is what he's talking about. Verse 64, but there are some of you who do not believe. Same thing. Same thing. They were desiring something and they can't take it. It's hard. 
do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Verse 65, and he said, this, this idea about unbelief, is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Again, complicated, difficult things. We're going to talk about this idea of God initiating, the Father initiating salvation. But again, summarizing. What do they want? What do they want? They wanted a Messiah who gave life, who saved, but not one who suffered and gave his life and died. Not the suffering Messiah. They wanted life, not through his death and flesh. That, that's too hard. It's offensive. They, Jesus was offering, though, life by his spirit. This new age of the spirit being inside people and Jesus testifying of that. These, Jesus is the words of life. That's what they're offering. And so many of them departed, it says. Many of you do not believe. What they wanted, Jesus isn't giving. And what Jesus is giving, they won't accept. This discourse that we just went through, we're going to get to the end of it in a second, is, is about belief and unbelief. And Jesus is revealing patterns that had occurred throughout the nation of Israel's history. We've been seeing about the Exodus and what they did. As the Jews watered in the Exodus, and they had this repeating patterns of unbelief. Jesus is the greater Moses. Jesus is the true bread from heaven, greater than Moses, greater than the manna. He gives life to his people and he leads them. But we still see these repeating patterns of grumbling that speak to unbelief. These are hard things and they grumbled like the Israelites did in the wilderness. Hebrews 3.19 says this. The people in the wilderness did not enter in because of unbelief. They did not enter in to the promise that God had given them because of unbelief. When things got hard, they did not believe. They relied on themselves and their own power, and they didn't enter in because of unbelief. What will you do? What will I do when things get hard? What will we do when things get hard? You can, there's some truths in the Bible you understand. There's other things that are hard or circumstances that are hard. So that being said, I want, to poke, I want to point out two that we've kind of discussed, but I want to drive in a little bit deeper. Two areas in this text right now that are hard to understand. That maybe you've questioned and wondered about. Maybe they've been difficult for you. The first one is Jesus' declaration that you must eat his body, and drink his blood. So that's the first one. That one may be less difficult to understand, but we'll talk about that. And the second one, as I've said over and over, is the Father's initiation of salvation. The idea that the Father um, draws or grants salvation. That those are hard concepts for people to understand. They can be difficult. And what do we do when we're faced with concepts that we can somewhat grasp, but not fully grasp? So let's consider first... The idea of Jesus giving his body of eating. Uh, what makes this, this part of the text hard is this. Is that it's hard in this text at times to determine what's literal and what's figurative. When Jesus speaks about believing, I'm just going to say, he's speaking literally. When he's speaking about eating, he's speaking figuratively. He's not, as we said, speaking about cannibalism. Eating, in this text, is a metaphor for believing. Eating is a metaphor for believing. Jesus is offering the gift of eternal life. And it's not a gift that you can earn, but it's one that you can receive. 
And eating is a vivid picture of this. If you go over to someone's house, you haven't made the meal, they made it, and they serve you, you don't work to gain that meal, you take it in. You enjoy it. You ingest it. It becomes part of you. When it said in verse um, 56, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him, this is the idea of the, the two becoming one. When you eat, that food becomes in you, and that food becomes part of you. It's internalized in you. We have a, a some, n- number of simple phrases in our, in our English vernacular. We say, um, you know, I like to devour a good book. Nobody's actually eaten that book, I don't think. You know, we should chew over a matter. We don't actually chew over the matter, but we're idea of just taking it in and thinking it through. Grandparents, this is a little weird, they, they say, I could just eat my grandchildren up. That's kind of scary. <laughs> this text can be confusing, though, because it's so... When Jesus speaks in verses 52 through 59, it seems like he's being so literal in what he's saying. But he's being metaphoric. He's teaching us things. And so people have taken this text wrong ways and said, this is too hard. I can't take it. I'm not going to be a part of this. So I want you to compare it just textually. Look at verse 35, so we can kind of understand this metaphor. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Comes and believes the two things that come from the bread of life. Then look at verse 40. It says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks, looks again, speaks of belief on the Son, and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And then verse 47, look at verse 47. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. But then in comparison, consider also what he says, the same sort of similar words, but with the eating metaphor. Verse 53 says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And then verse 54, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Look at verse 58. Um, This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Same idea of receiving eternal life, but one speaks in more the literal of belief, one speaks in the metaphoric of eating. But the eating metaphor helps us to understand, you must Take Jesus in completely. There's a, a fullness of it. There's a, 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 an eternalizing of it. That belief is that deep. It's not just, I know in my head this is happening, but it's a taking in of Jesus. Today, this is why it's a little bit simpler for us than it was at that time, we have the, the communion meal, which we partake often of the church. I don't believe Jesus was speaking about communion here, but the metaphor is the same. Today, when we take the bread and we take the cup, we we, we know this is a, a picture of Jesus' body and blood broken and spilled out for us, and we take it in. It's not that we're literally eating those things, but it's this metaphor that's taking place. This is why it's a little bit easier us for today, but very hard for them because they didn't understand it at the time. It's a vivid metaphor of belief. But this can be hard. And what do you do when you have a hard concept that you don't understand? Well, you can study it more, but sometimes you really just can't figure it out all the way. And that's what I think is true of this next one we're going to talk about. The initiation of salvation. One of the reasons Jesus, in this text, over and over again, there are people who are believing, but in this text, 
the majority of people are unbelieving. And the question then is, if Jesus is the bread of life, if he can provide eternal life, then why aren't people receiving that? Why, why, why aren't they having eternal life? Because the majority of people in here don't, have, have departed. They haven't believed. And why don't they believe? Why don't some believe? And in this particular text, the emphasis is on the work of the Father in their life. Look again at verses 36 to 40. It says, But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. That's, that's the problem. They've seen what he's done. They don't believe. And then he says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. Father is doing the work to bring those to come to him. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. There's assurance there. Verse 38, For I have come down from heaven, not to by my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And Jesus is on a mission, and it's the Father's work. And this is the will of him who sent me. I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. He, those who God has been, the Father has given to Jesus, he will not lose them. I raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks in the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. There's a work of the Father to bring people to Jesus, and that he doesn't lose them. But then also look at verse 44. It says, No one can come to me unless the Father who, who, who sent me draws him. So that's a little even more uh, emphasis. Uh, people can't come to Jesus unless the Father draws them. The work of the Father beginning. And then even more, look at verses 64 and 65. These are people who are 64 and 65. People who are unbelieving. This is the disciples in particular. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe, who was who betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me and the lettuce is granted by my Father. So these are, this is a hard thing. Jesus, the Bible makes it clear that you must believe on the Son to have eternal life. But then there's also this thing that's saying, the Father must grant, the Father must draw, the Father must bring a person to Jesus. Both are true. The Bible makes it clear that you must believe, the Father makes it, Bible makes it clear that God is over salvation and is his work. So how can those both be true? How, how is it? That's a, that's a hard concept to understand. Did, did, does God choose or does man choose? You can begin to think, is it fair or not fair? The passage here in John, it really does emphasize the work of the Father. Now, there's other passages of the Bible that emphasize different ways, but here it's emphasizing the work of the Father. It's a hard question. And what I'm going to say is, I'm not going to solve that for you right now. <laughs> I can't. People have wrote many, 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 many books. People have different views on how all this fits together. All I'm going to say here is that what do you do when there's a concept in the Bible that is hard and you can't ne- and it necessarily figure it out? Here's the question. Will you believe or will you disbelieve? And what I'm saying believe is that we know some very simple things about Jesus, Right? We know that he provides eternal advice. We know the Father is good. We know he is just. The question that some people question about this concept. We know he's just. We know he is true and righteous altogether. We know that he desires that none to, to, to perish, but all to come to repentance and to be saved. We know those things to be true. So when it comes to the question, these questions that are difficult, what will we do? Will we trust in the things we do know, or we, tr- or, or we, or we run 
or we will stumble or we grumble the things we can't fully understand? That's my question. What will we do? What will we do? Will we believe or will we depart? There is a last group of people here. And I want you to look at it. This is verses 67 through 71. And these are the 12. And what they're going to do here is I don't think Peter, who's going to be speaking, has this all figured out. But he says something that he says, I'm surrendering to Jesus and what I do know about him, not what I don't understand. This is in verse verse 67. So Jesus said to the 12, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered, Did I not choose you the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. These twelve disciples, eleven of them declare, Where else would we go? We've followed you. We've seen you. We know that you are speaking truth. These sayings that you've been saying are hard. We don't fully understand them. We don't understand how we are to eat your body and drink your blood. We don't fully understand that all the way. These are hard sayings. We don't understand how it's a suffering Messiah. We don't understand how God works in drawing one to salvation. But we do know that you are Messiah, you are real, you are good. And where else would we go? This is this statement. I only, we only can trust in you. This is, what they're, this is what he's doing. This is what Peter's doing. But even in that, we see here, there's one who didn't do that. I mean, Judas, one of the, one of the 12, he ends up caring more about his own money, right? He cares about the current, the temporal things. And so he betrays Jesus. Even one of the twelve thought about the temporal things more than the the, the eternal. And the Bible also tells us interesting things, again, about God's plan for Judas. Both are there. These are hard things, confusing things. But what do we do with them? What do you do? When there's a doctrinal mystery. What what about the Trinity? How many people here understand the Trinity fully? Maybe Aaron Sherwood? Probably not. (laughs) These are hard things. All right? God's, what we'd say here, God's initiation of salvation, God's election, that's hard to understand. Some people get tripped up, and I don't know, maybe some of you are, of questions that are just like impossible questions. Can God create a rock so big that he cannot lift it? Some people get tripped up, and that's hard for them. Did Adam have a belly button? (laughs) I don't know. Some people get tripped on that. What about your science class and the Bible? When they are in conflict, what do you do when things get hard? When you hear convincing evidence that, that it's challenged maybe something you've believed before? What about in church? Maybe some of, I, I just know numerous people who have had bad experiences in churches in the past. And, they, and then they say, because of that, I can't believe anymore. I can't believe anymore. Are you, what do you do? What do you do? What if you had a relationship that you thought, God gave me this person and then either they, they pass, relationship breaks, and you think, that's God's fault. I, I, I can't handle this. I, I thought God had guaranteed that to me. 
What do you do when things get hard? Do you believe or do you depart? Peter is declaring here, where else would we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. You are the truth. This is, I'm sh- I know that, uh, I know many of you, I know this is true in your life. I know it's true in my life that there are so many things that I don't understand about the Lord, but there are things that he's done through his word and said that I can say, I don't get this, Lord. Why is this happening? But I can trust in who you are. I'm going to say, you alone have the words of eternal life. Will you believe when it's hard? What will you do? I, I, I think one of the major things that you, we can take from this is this. There will be points in your life when you don't understand, and then the question is, will you just surrender? Will you be okay with God? I know who you are. I know that you're good, and that Jesus came and died for my sins. He gave his life. He loved. So I'm going to trust in that over anything else. Will you do that? Will you surrender? Um, back to the start. I went to the Skaggs house. We missed that meal. My stomach was grumbling. Should I depart? Absolutely not. I got the girl, right? She's in the children's ministry right now. We have three kids of our own. It was altogether worth it. Altogether worth it. That is the same here, and even to a much, much greater degree. Jesus is altogether lovely. He, he, is, he is the king of kings. What else is he? He's the Lord of lords. What else is he? He's the bread of life. He's the almighty one. What? He's the prince of peace. He's Emmanuel, God with us. What else is he? He's the rock that we can count on. What else is he? The light of the world. Jesus is altogether wonderful. And when things get hard, we can rest in him and just say, Lord, I don't get it. I don't understand. This is hard. But I know who you are. You are altogether worth it. Let's pray. Lord, uh, make it true in our lives that we would be, that we would follow in Peter's steps. Peter had doubts at times. Um, we even talked about him being called um, Satan because of his statements. But when it came down to it, Peter said, you alone have the words of eternal life. Lord, when things get hard in our lives, may we trust in Jesus. May we count on his promises. May we know that you are the only one that provides life. The only one who gives us eternal life. And may you help us to believe when things get hard. Uh, thank you for this, uh, this word from, 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 your, from, from John. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.